Well, I thought since we're all recovering from Christmas that we would have a Christmas devotional together as a church family. And if you will, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, those verses that we read just prior to our time together, starting in verse 20 of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, and let's read to verse 22. For all the promises of God are in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now He who is established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our heart as a guarantee. Since we're going into a new year, I thought I would begin with a confession. I, I need to confess this to you. One of my all-time favorite Christmas movies, and this might be sacrilegious, is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Usually when we go over to my sister-in-law's house for Thanksgiving, one of the networks has it on a loop. You know, they play it over and over again. I sit there for six hours, okay? And one of the scenes that I just absolutely love comes to the, uh, towards the end of the movie when Clark Griswold finally receives from the, uh, the messenger what he believes to be his Christmas bonus. But in actuality, even though in his mind he's anticipating it with great anticipation because he hopes to build a swimming pool, which he's already paid with his uh, entire savings, as he opens the envelope, his face just absolutely begins to contort to discover that his Christmas bonus is nothing more than a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. Okay, that's hilarious, all right, right there. That is absolutely hilarious. And then, of course, you've got encouraging Cousin Eddie in the back who wants to remind Clark that, Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving. That is a memorable gift. Have you ever had one of those Christmas gifts that were so memorable to you that it maybe even changed the course of your life? Mine happened when I was in my early teenage years. I had just begun to play the electric guitar. And I had asked my parents that all I wanted for Christmas was this one guitar. I even conned my dad into going over to the store. I pointed it out. I, I made him look at it, memorize it, so forth, hoping that that was enough to get the message across. Well, as Christmas was getting closer, my parents kept reminding me that this year I was only going to get one large gift, and I thought, for sure, it's got to be that guitar. It has to be that guitar. And I even tried at points when my confidence was low to try to corks them out of, uh, you know, revealing what it was. And I asked them, you know, is it a big gift? And they said, oh, it's a big gift. Is it a gift that I'm going to use all year round? Oh, it's a gift that you're going to use all year round. Now, I know some of you know this story, but I felt it was appropriate to use it again. So that morning comes. 
and I couldn't wait. And I came out from my bedroom, and there next to the tree were all the gifts. And I sat back and looked with great anticipation, but I couldn't find anything that looked like a guitar. And then I noticed that behind the tree, over in the corner of the room, was this very large rectangle-shaped gift. And it said, Eric. And I said, oh, they just put it in a big box to fool me. And then I began to open it. Oh, it wasn't a guitar, but it was a gift that I was going to use for the rest of the year. My mom and dad bought me a mattress. (laughs) True story. True story. In fact, I actually have a picture of that moment with my face in the glee that it was. I didn't show it here today because I had just my pajama bottoms on the... (laughs) Maybe that's too much information for a Christmas morning. I love that kid. He laughed at my jokes. (laughs) But it was a memorable gift that continued to give throughout the course of the year. Not what I wanted, but definitely something I needed. When I had to shop for Christmas gifts, my mom was the hardest one to buy for. By far, she was the hardest one to buy for. And I don't think she meant to be, but every time we got her a gift, she would open it and just be like, oh, hmm, hmm. Thanks, Mom. I built that in ceramic class, you know, for you. Maybe you have one of those people. It's on your list and you save them to last because you just don't know what to get them. This year I gave my wife a Christmas card, which is a rarity for me. I found a Christmas card that was very appropriate. And in it I just wrote, here is your gift. I drew a line and underneath it I said, fill in the blank. You decide what you want for Christmas. She loved it. It was a perfect gift for her. Then I thought that she could put almost anything in there. But it reminds me of a story of three brothers who desired to buy their mom a very special Christmas present. She was, at the end of her life, all three brothers were very successful and they were very grateful for all the sacrifice that their mother had made on their behalf to, bring, to allow them the education and to then obtain the careers that they did to gain the wealth that they had. So they wanted to bless her because in her latter years, her eyes were beginning to fail. And so the first of the three brothers bought her a beautiful home with lots and lots of windows so she could look out and enjoy the scenery around her while her eyes were still available to her. The second son bought her a Rolls Royce and a a chauffeur to go with it, to drive his mother wherever she needed to go so she wouldn't be home alone without transportation. But the third son was a believer, and he wanted to help his mother continue in her reading of the Word of God, so he bought a parrot and taught the parrot how to read the Bible and to memorize it and recite it to his mother. So when her eyes did fail, she would have the constant reminder of God's word to encourage her. 
Well, after receiving the gifts, the three brothers went to her, seeing how she enjoyed the gifts in which they, uh, which they gave her. And to the first son concerning the house, she said, Son, I love you and I thank you so much for this beautiful house, but it's just too big for me to, uh, to maintain. Please sell it, take it back and sell it. And to the second son, she said, I am so grateful for the Rolls Royce, but I don't really care for the chauffeur. So please take the gift back. And to the third son, she said, son, I want to thank you so much. That chicken you gave me was delicious, but it was very small. The gifts that keep on giving. As, I really like her. As Christians, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, there are gifts that he gives us. And I'm not talking about the spiritual gifts, the supernatural gifts, the, the gifts that indicate the Spirit working amongst the congregation, the gift of tongues and interpretation and healing, which I believe are still active in the church today. I'm not talking about the administrative gifts that are listed in the book of Romans. Those are there for us too, where God then places us in various positions within the body of Christ to fulfill and to minister and to edify, build up the body of Christ. I'm talking about the gifts of the promises that He has made to us as Christians. Truly gifts that keep on giving throughout the entire year. Do you realize that throughout Genesis to Revelation, you will find 8,810 gifts, I'm sorry, promises that are made by God to His people. Out of those 8,000 promises, 3,000 are directly given to you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. Because every promise made isn't a promise that we can necessarily appropriate. They were made to certain people at certain times for certain things. I think you'd understand. For you know, example, you know, though Abraham and Sarah were promised a child later in their age, it doesn't mean that we can necessarily appropriate that for ourselves. We understand that. But there are three thousand promises that we are going to look at in detail this morning. No, I'm going to pick out three for you, if I may. Three promises that I want to give you to carry into the next year with you and to rely on them for the entirety of the year. Because as our text began with this morning, that for all the promises of God in Him are yes. Meaning the promises that are directed to us, that He has given to us, are yes, meaning that he is capable to perform those things in which he has promised and he will be faithful in doing so. These promises act as stepping stones through this world. It gives us sure footing in an insecure world. It allows us to continue to move forward in a world that is moving contrary to us and is trying consistently and constantly to push us backwards. These are the promises that we can step on, stand upon, and continue to move forward within if we will simply believe them. And as one pastor said, appropriate them. 
which is appropriate for us to do. So I'm going to give you three of my favorite. Three that I often remind myself of throughout the course of any given year. And as a devotional this morning, I thought these would be great to look at as we now look into the future, as we are getting ready to step into 2022, never anticipating that 2021 would have unfolded in the way that it did, did we? And yet God was faithful each and every day to His people. Consistently, without fail, God has been faithful. And so I can only conclude that God will be faithful going forward. Well, I put this in New Testament order for you, and we're going to start in the book of Matthew. Let us begin in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking quickly at 19 through 34. The first promise that I want to introduce you to, if you haven't had a handle on it already, is don't worry. Or better yet, why worry? And I wanted you to notice what Jesus said when he gave this promise to us. Starting in verse 25 of chapter 6, notice Jesus speaking to the people. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Easier said than done, right? In what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You could spend hours just contemplating that idea right there. Verse 26, he then goes on to give them an illustration. He says, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature or one inch to his height or her height? So why do you worry about clothing? He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed, The grass of the field, which is today here and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O little of faith? O you of little faith, excuse me. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Those are he's saying those who don't know me, those who don't have a relationship with God. That's what they seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you are in need of all of these things. Highlight that. Dad knows what you are in need of. But here it is. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We must look at what Jesus is saying. 
It's a trust relationship by faith with God the Father that allows an individual not to worry, but to trust that God knows what they are in need of and that in His timing, in His way, He will provide those things for them. But it's conditional. It says very clearly, He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. We as Christians must remember that our prayer, that our heart's desire must be that of which Jesus prayed in the garden before his crucifixion, not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus said for one to follow after him, one must deny themselves, take up the cross, and then follow after him. Paul the Apostle, in writing to the Gentile church of Colossians, he said, let us always place Christ in a place of preeminence within our heart. Jesus must be first. We must seek His will. We must seek His purposes, His plan. And then know that these things will be added unto us as they are needed. But to do so, we have to know God. Know Him in a way that we trust Him, and that's indicated in our text. When he says, do you not know that the Heavenly Father has uh, fed the birds, that he has clothed the, the, the grass, how much more will he do for you? How much more valuable are you to him than those things? But to lean into him, to trust him in this way, we must know him deeply, personally, and intimately if we are going to trust him for those things that we are in need of. Jesus said earlier, remember that those things that we pray for, God the Father is already aware of. He knows these things before we bring them to Him in supplication. Our Heavenly Father is a living God who's aware of everything that we are going through. And what will keep us from this And what will lead us to worry is a lack of trust in God. It is a lack of knowing who He is and how He desires to respond to us. Now again, He's talking about the needs that we have and not necessarily the wants. Many Christians today are walking with God under the false notion of believing that God will provide for them everything that they want. He has never made that promise to us. He has always promised to provide everything that we need. Notice with me, that should be on the screen behind me, Philippians 4, 19-20. Notice what Paul says to the believers that he is uh, writing to. He says, And my God shall supply all of your what? Needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's our needs. And as one theologian once said, if Walmart doesn't have it, we don't need it. If God hasn't provided it, then He must feel that we don't need it. May I encourage you to take your heart before the Lord this year and ask the Lord if you are more consumed with remaining at a certain quality of life than you are about His personal will for your life. Because many American Christians believe that we need certain things to be happy. 
And in the pursuit of those things, what often occurs is we begin to focus on those things, we fixate on those things, and we begin to lose sight of the things that God has blessed us with and then concentrate on those things that He has not. Believing that if I just had this one more thing, I'd finally obtain that uh, you know, ever-so-elusive state of happiness. So many people have fallen into that, that choice. And yet, people who have gained the material possessions that they've always believed would make them happy are unfortunately some of the most unhappy people you'll ever meet. So put your focus on His kingdom. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And therefore, please, don't stop there. Go into verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The second promise I want to introduce you to today is found in the book of Romans. I'm sure it's one that you are all familiar with, and it's a glorious promise for us to carry into the new year with us. And in chapter 8 of Romans, in verse 28, Paul writes to us one of the promises that are near and dear to, I believe, all of our hearts, helping us to understand why we experience the things that we experience. We have this promise to take into the new year in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these, things he, also, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified the second promise is this it's all going to work out it's all going to work out in the end often we become troubled and overwhelmed by the circumstances that we face especially if those circumstances is something that we never anticipating having to experience it's at those times that we often become insecure in our christian faith it's at those times that we begin to question the most basic elements of our Christian faith, the most basic theological understandings of our faith. For example, often when we go into troublesome times, we are challenged in our heart and mind to know if God is truly good. Because how could a good God ever allow me to experience such a thing? But Paul made it abundantly clear that in the process of our salvation, starting before the foundations of the world, within the predestination of our inheritance into the glory of God through Christ, God knew that every single circumstance would have a positive impact upon that process, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, which is the true definition of the word good there in verse 28. Everything that we experience 
God is using us to sanctify us, that is, conforming us into the image, bringing us out of the world, cleaning us up and making us into the image of Jesus Christ. Everything that we experience here in this life is working to that end. Now, why God has to use the certain circumstances and trials and tribulations that He does, that I don't know. I wish that I could just simply sit on my couch, read the Bible, and the sanctification process just happened, and I never had to go through another difficult moment in my entire life. But that's truly not the case when you read the life stories of the individuals in the Old and New Testament alike. But I can be confident, even though I may not understand it, that God is working these things out. The very first thing he says in verse 28 is, we know. It's a term of certainty. We know this to be true is what he is saying. It's already something that they were confident of and most likely just needed to be reminded of. You know this to be true. That all things, and again, I hold dearly to the fact that the smaller words in the Bible have some of the greatest impact upon our lives. That all things, not some things, not individual things, not select things, all things work together for good. For, now this is targeted, number one, to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Believers. Believers. We can be assured of this. That the work that God has started in us, He will complete. As we've defined the word good, meaning to be conformed into the image of Jesus, verse 29. Let me direct your attention to verse 30, if I may, and to show you that in each and every step of the way, it is God who is doing the work. For example, in verse 30. Moreover, He whom He predestined, Moreover, he who also called, it is he who also justified, and it's he that also glorified. It is God who is doing the work in us. It is God that allows us into the circumstances and situations that he does for the purpose of our sanctification and for the ultimate glorification, knowing that one day we will be in that image that he so desires us to be. Into the return state of the image of Adam of God before the fall of Adam in the garden. That's what God is doing. Everything is working together for good in your life. That's hard to understand. It's hard to contemplate sometimes. You might think at times, well, that just can't be true. And yet the promise of God is that it'll all work out in the end. Often as a new believer in Jesus Christ, it's quite difficult to see this. But I would encourage you that if you've walked with God for any length of period of time, you can often look back and say, You know, what I didn't understand then, I now understand today. I I get it, God, why you allowed that to happen. I get it that now how you use those circumstances to bring about your glory. 
Now, let me be honest. There are some things that we will never fully understand this side of heaven. But we have the promise to carry us through and that we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. As Paul wrote again in the book of Philippians, he said, being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, His return. God is working in you. So in 2020, two I should say, we can be confident that God is going to continue that work in us. I certainly don't understand all that has happened over the last two years. I do know that as we get closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the events, the stage shall be set as the book of Revelation says that they will unfold, those things will be set for His return. But I do know this, even amongst the craziness occurring all around us, God is still working in us for good. And we can be confident of that. The last of the three I'd like to give you is now found in that book, the book of Philippians. And I believe this is again one that we should carry with us into the new year. And I call it praying to peace. Praying to peace. I hope and pray that in 2022, you make a conscious purposed effort to become a man and or woman of God's word and of prayer. These are not optional elements of a Christian life. They are necessities of a healthy Christian life. I think all of us have learned more about infectious diseases this year than we've ever wanted to personally know. But one of the interesting things that my doctor told me, and I was kind of uh, embarrassed that I didn't know this before it, is that she said that often when we run and to vitamins, we think, well, once I get sick, then I'll begin a vitamin regimen to help me overcome the illness. But she said, really, it's more important that you begin to take those vitamins prior to the illness that they're already working in your body. Some vitamins like D, (laughs) how do we get into these things? Let's go back to National Lampoon's vacation. No, Uh, like vitamin D take 10 days before they have the full effect within the human body, according to my doctor. I thought that was very interesting and how it paralleled uh, the, the Word of God so much. How often When we find ourselves in a crisis, do we then run to God's Word? We try to flip through it to find that one scripture that will speak to us at that moment. We kind of play, you know, fortune cookie with it, or what I call biblical uh, horoscope, to find that one verse, when in actuality, if we would have been preparing our hearts and minds before the crisis occurred, in God's Word, we would be in a much better position to go through the storm that we find ourselves. And let me encourage you to start off this new year in God's Word. And many people say, well, where do I start? You know, if a librarian was asked that question by someone, I'm checking out this book, 
uh, I don't know where to start. I believe she would confiscate your library card. You don't deserve it. Start at the beginning. Start at Genesis. And I know when you get to Leviticus, it you know, sometimes feels like a dry water slide that you're going down. But keep going. Because I will tell you, a book like Leviticus, which doesn't seem to really impact you at the moment, when you come to the Gospels, they just open up to understand why Jesus did what He did. Be a man or a woman of God by reading His Word and taking time to pray. Notice with me, in verse 6 and 7 of Philippians 4, praying to peace. He begins by saying, be anxious for nothing. You know this verse. This is probably nothing new to you. But in everything by prayer. He says, instead of being worried, instead of being anxious, instead of fear, being fearful, he said, choose to pray first rather than prayer being the last option. Make it the first choice. When you are overwhelmed by circumstances, when you are fearful, when you are worried about whatever you may be facing, go to prayer first. Now, I will tell you, that is much easier to do when you're already naturally inclined to pray before that, right? When you've already cultivated a strong prayer life. When you already are accustomed to spending time with God in prayer every single day. And you, some of you may be saying to me right now, I, I pray three times a day. Lord, thank you for this food. God is looking for something a little bit more. He wants to spend time with you. May I encourage you that before you open God's Word, you pray. When after you're finished reading and close the book, you pray. Spending time with God. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. That's where Christianity and the relationship and the cultivation of that relationship begins. In prayer and in His Word. So instead of being anxious and tearing yourself up inside, go to prayer. And that prayer begins with the praise of God. It then leads to supplication, which is asking for our own personal needs. But the third one is the one that is often neglected the most. That is being thankful. If I may encourage you, my wife asked me to do this. Now I wonder why she asked me to do this. She asked me to begin to always and each and every day be thankful and grateful for what God has blessed us with. And you know, it changed my heart from the inside out. It, 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 it allowed me to see what God was doing rather than being uh, upset about what I believe He should be doing and is not. It allowed me to enjoy the blessings of God in a new and fresh way by having a heart of gratefulness before Him. I think there is always reason to praise Jesus. I was listening to the testimony of a young man who lived in Africa. And he went through a very difficult childhood. He was kidnapped and brought into one of the militia groups there in Africa. He was then released. And then after being released, he went through times of famine with his village. He went through times of sicknesses with his village. 
And at the end of the day, he was able to say, and each and every day along the way, I always found reason to praise Jesus. And I said to myself, you know, I can't even relate to that. I can't even imagine going through that. But he was able to do it, and it carried him through to become the missionary that he is today. And it says, let your requests be made known to God. Now, we've already learned God knows what we need of before we ask, right? We've already learned that God is there and available to us. He says, cast your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. And then He says, and this is what gets most of us, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding It's illogical because it's not based on corrective circumstances. It's based on something that happens in the heart and the mind of the individual. Why do I say that? Notice what he says next. It will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. I think that this occurs, and when I see people enjoying this type of peace... It isn't so much that we enter the crisis, we throw up a prayer, and then all of a sudden we become peaceful in our heart. It appears more that it is cultivated day in and day out, time after time, in a walk with the Lord, in the learning of the Lord, and here, most importantly, the trusting of the Lord. Trust is a big word today, and it doesn't happen overnight. How many of you have put your trust in someone only to have that trust greatly violated? We have to be confident that God will not do that to us. And He won't. I guarantee it that He won't. But here's what happens. When people approach God with false expectations, when people try to appropriate promises not made to them, when people think that God needs to supply all of what they want rather than all of what they need, they then conclude, I can't trust God. God didn't work for me. But we discover that it's wrong in its whole perspective. And God is there and He says, I love you, I care, and here's how I've shown it, here's how I've demonstrated, and have I not been faithful to you over and over in the Old Testament to His people? Have I not been faithful to everything that I've promised to you? And yet they didn't see it. They kept wandering away. And they could easily say, and in places in Jeremiah you get this illusion that they, uh, the people saying, God just didn't work for us, didn't work for us the way we wanted Him to. But have we allowed God to do what God said He would do? And the only way to establish that trust is by getting to know God. Not just knowing about God, but getting to know God Himself through prayer and His Word. It's so important. I can't stress this enough. All that we do here at Calvary, Wednesdays and Sundays, If this is the only time that you are in God's Word, you are spiritually malnutrition. And as a result, you're probably anemic in your Christian life. You have to feed yourself spiritually each and every day on God's Word. Allowing the Spirit to speak to your heart. And it may not be necessarily on what you are going through at the moment. Often it is. Sometimes it is. But often it's preparing you for something that's coming next. 
or it brings clarity that's concerning something that's already happened in your life. And when you begin to learn the faithfulness of God and seeing it in your own life, your faith and trust in Him will grow. One of the most profound things I ever heard was somebody say this, it's easy for people to believe in God, but it seems much more difficult for people to believe God. Think about that for a moment. Because I believe there's a lot of truth within that. And you may be wrestling with your trust in God. May I encourage you to keep moving forward this year. And notice God's faithfulness as you are choosing not to be anxious, but in all things in prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, making your requests be made known to God. Therefore, having the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, allowing it to guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In John 14, 27, Jesus told His disciples this before He left, to ascend back to the Father, first being crucified, then His ascension. He said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Enjoy the peace in 2022. I told the youth group last Friday that I cannot guarantee that the world is going to get any better in 2022, but I assured them that they can get deeper and more intimate in their relationship with God in 2022. And when the winds blow, and they will blow, and when the storms come, and they will come, we will be standing on the rock, and let them blow, let them come, for we shall stand at that moment. We can't avoid them. We can't stop them. But to those who don't have Christ, as they try to weather those storms of life, Jesus told them it is as if they were building their house on sand. And when those storms do come, great will be the fall of their house. So this year, 2022, why worry? Because it's all going to work out in the end. Praying to peace.